Family is everything. At least, that's what they'd tell you where I'm from. There was a suffocating feeling of always being watched, so you can live up to long-standing expectations. They would claim that the success of our family has everything to do with the traditions we hold. It was true, to a large degree, that the family had enormous success. Through direct and extended family, we pretty much owned the city in which we lived. Our parents, aunts, and uncles all became wildly successful, running large businesses to inventing products that hit the markets in a flurry. You could probably attribute these success stories to individual success, tenacity, brilliance, whatever label you want to put on it. My family did not do this, however. They were absolutely certain it had everything to do with our traditions. This is why, when I was nearing the age of 17, a large emphasis was placed on my participation in the ritual. Being an only child and daughter of my parents, they were especially overbearing as I approached the age that would require my participation. All women at the age of 17 would go through the ritual on March 1st of every year. It didn't really matter when your birthday was, just that you would go into the ritual on that day if you were 17. The details of it were kept secret from us until about a week prior to the event. The men of our family went through their own tradition, but as far as I knew, they kept that a very closely held secret. My father never conveyed what he went through to me or my mother. In some ways, I think they liked keeping an air of mystery about it. After my birthday in August and a calm winter, I started to approach the March 1st ritual date. In the week leading up to it, my parents sat me down in our living room. Though this was considered a happy event, given it would bring enormous success to the family, they still had concern in their eyes as they explained. I knew there were dangerous things, but I had no idea that some people never returned from the ritual. They explained that there was a danger, and I needed to listen to instructions very carefully. Those who don't return are not spoken of again. They are forgotten. A measure of cruelty was woven into this from my perspective. There were relatives of mine that went through with this, but I never knew they existed because of their posthumous exile from the family tree. It was also explained that those who come back from the ritual are not always the same, but that that was part of growing up. I'll admit that I'm a young adult, but much of what they were saying sounded like the event was being sugarcoated. Some people don't come back. Those that do come back are changed forever. Suffice it to say, the rundown of the ritual was not easing any fear or concerns I had. Women in the ritual would be accompanied by what my parents called the angels, who were guardian spirits of the family. I spoke reverently of them, as if we owe our family's continued success to their guidance and the good luck they bring. The ritual would last for three days, and in this time, no one would be allowed to sleep. I wasn't sure what to say to this. No sleep for three days? Was that even possible? My parents assured me, though, that it was possible, and I would rise to the challenge admirably. For this march, there would be four other girls that were of age to participate. I knew most of them, girls I went through school with. Aria, Emma, Paige, 
and a girl I didn't know, Haley. This wasn't always the case that the families would know each other, so an event was scheduled for everyone to meet. An event hall was booked in the downtown area. Most of the family, including extended family, attended these get-togethers. Only those with pressing engagements in their outside businesses, items that simply couldn't be overlooked and were beneficial to the family, were excused. Never one for the hubbub of a large gathering, I stood in the corner, eating a plate of charcuterie. I looked off at my family, all gathered in celebration of me and the four other girls. They certainly took this seriously. It seemed to be a happy occasion, which gave me hope that this thing wouldn't be as bad as I was thinking. Psst! whispered someone in an adjacent room. I whipped my head around, looking for who made the noise. It was Haley, who quietly made her way to the wall on the other side of me. Hey, you're that girl the others were telling me about. Gabby, right? I'm Haley. I live with your second or maybe fourth aunt and uncle. I don't know, she said. Oh, uh, nice to meet you, I said awkwardly. Yeah, hey, the other girls are over here. We need to talk to you, she said in motion to a remote corner of the event hall. We could talk privately over here. She turned her back and started walking in the direction she motioned. I felt compelled to go and see what was going on, if for any reason at all, out of curiosity about what the other girls were up to. I was led into a section of the event center that had not been set up with the usual catered array of tables and linen. In fact, this area looked like it was being used to store several of the unused tables and stacks of chairs. The girls were standing in a circle in the center of this room. They turned their heads to look at me as I followed Haley inside. Joining their circle, they stood silently, almost as if they were expecting someone else to speak first. Hey, I said. Um, nice to see everybody. I think my uncle needs to take it easy on the... I started to say, but was interrupted. I still don't get why we need to include her. She's never going to go for this, said Aria. She glared at me with a calculating expression as she said this. The other girls seemed to get nervous as this was expressed, except for Haley, who seemed like she could care less about anyone's drama. We're including her because we're all in this together, Aria, said Haley. Besides, you haven't exactly come up with any better ideas. Maybe we need a fresh perspective. Aria put her head down at the rebuttal. Gabby, we're planning an escape. I don't know what they're planning for this crazy ritual thing, but it sounds nuts. We just need to go about it the right way so we don't get caught, Haley said. I looked at Haley, stunned. Run away? Why would anyone feel the need to do that? Sure, this all sounded kind of weird, but there's no way our parents would put us in any real danger. Don't you think you're being a little dramatic? I asked. Dramatic, Haley responded, eyebrows raised. Look out in that dining hall. This is weird. I've been through enough to know something is up, and I am not sticking around to find out what it is. Me neither, said Emma. She looked at me, and I could tell she was afraid. All of these girls looked afraid, except for Haley. All we've ever known is the family and what security it brings. To run away, go off on her own with nothing... It was unheard of. At least that's what I thought. I remembered then what my parents told me about the family forgetting people who don't make it through the ritual. Who's to say 
They don't do the same thing with runaways. Haley looked at me, clearly reading that I was mulling over their proposal. Are you in? She asked. All of the girls were looking at me then, the pressure of their gaze bearing down on me. I made the only decision there was to make. I'm out. This is my home. Whatever is going to happen, I'll find a way through it, I said. Suit yourself, said Haley. Keep this to yourself, though. She and the other girls turned from me, deep in their quiet conversation, planning their escape. I made my way back to the dining hall, resigning myself to have some food and trying to forget about the girls' plan. A couple of days passed, and I didn't hear anything from the others. It was only at school when I was approached by Paige. They did it, she whispered. And for it last night, Haley and Emma. I couldn't go through with it. Thought about what she said. I think we'll find a way through no matter what. I can't believe they actually did it. Arya didn't go? I asked in a low voice. No, can you believe it? After all that attitude she was giving you, Paige said. I guess she couldn't work up the courage. Maybe, I said. Need to get to class. See you later. Feeling mixed about this news, I went about my school day, trying not to think about it. It wasn't really my place to pass judgment or be involved in the runaway. However, I found out later that I was mistaken about this, that their plan of escape was going to very much become my business. Fifth period came and a school administrator came to my classroom. They excused me from the lesson and explained that I had to go home immediately. My dad was in the parking lot, waiting for me by the car. Dad, what's going on? Don't you have work? I asked, completely confused. I'll explain soon. Just get in the car, please, he said curtly. We drove into the downtown area again, back to the event hall where the gathering had taken place. As we entered the front doors, the room looked vacant, broken down from the event a couple days prior. He motioned for me to head to one of the back rooms and led me to where my mother was, as well as Paige and Aria. Their parents were there along with others who I could only assume were Emma and Haley's. The latter looked grave, not making eye contact with me as I entered the room. An elderly woman entered from a side room. She stood in front of us and introduced herself. Hello, ladies. My name is Helen McCarthy, but you can just call me Helen. I hold the position of facilitator for the ritual. Normally, we would meet a couple of days from now, but recent events have forced this introduction, she said. Are any of you three aware of why you were brought here today? She asked, and as she did so, glared into each of our eyes. No, ma'am, all three of us said like a reflex. Were any of you aware that two of your peers saw fit to run away yesterday evening, to abandon their responsibilities of the tradition to which they owe so much? She asked, this time with more of an air of accusation. All three of us remained silent at this. Sure, we all knew what was going on, but heck if any of us were going to admit that. Helen paced the room looking at each of us up and down, trying to peel the guilt out of us. She tutted, then motioned at a man I didn't know who promptly left the room. A moment later, he and two other men brought in Haley and Emma. They had burlap bags over their heads, and they were placed in two chairs in the center of the room. 
The bags were removed from their heads, and I let out a small gasp when I saw they had been injured. Both Emma and Haley had bruising on their faces, arms, and legs, like they'd been punished after being captured. These girls have committed a betrayal to the family. We brought you three here so you can bear witness to that. However, we also wanted you to know that we understand. Understand what a huge responsibility it is to undergo such an important task, she explained. I felt like I had entered a different universe. What in the heck was going on here? This wasn't the family I knew. Had they beaten these girls up just for running away? What's needed here is a little encouragement, I think, said Helen. Which is why these two will be spending the rest of the lead-up to the ritual in my care. We will build the confidence that is clearly lacking. I'm sure, she trailed off, looking at the three of us. This is not a lesson that I'll need to teach the three of you. Am I right about this? Yes, ma'am, the three of us said. Good. You can go now, she said. My parents took me by the shoulders and ushered me out of the room. We got in the car without looking back at any of the others and drove away toward home. Half of the drive was in total silence, so my dad turned his head slightly to address me. Abby, did you know anything about this? He asked. No, I lied. This is serious, Gabby. The family goes out of their way to support all of the girls. This isn't the way to repay them. We owe so much of our success to the ritual, he went on. Dad, I know, I said, maybe a little more forcefully than I meant to. Sorry, just that was kind of scary. There was a brief pause, I guess, while my dad considered this. I know, he said, but it's necessary to stress the importance of what you'll be going through in a few days from now. Just know that we're here for you if you have any concerns. Okay. I said, not really sure what else to add to the conversation. The rest of the week went by like a blur. None of the other girls spoke to or even looked at each other. We all felt the pressure of the family, like there were eyes watching our every move. The night before the ritual, I couldn't sleep, mind racing over the possibilities of what would be happening tomorrow. The night before, the family threw a large dinner again, inviting all of the families to celebrate the arrival of the ritual. I tried to speak to Haley and Emma, but they avoided me entirely. All of the girls seemed reluctant to talk to one another, perhaps out of fear of being accused of planning another escape attempt. As the morning came, fear welled in my stomach. My parents came in, excited, over-enthusiastic about the day having arrived. It felt like a show, as if they were trying to offer encouragement despite the shadow that loomed over this event. We drove to a large house on the outer edge of town. It was a massive two-story house. The yard outside appeared impeccably groomed and maintained. We entered into a grand entryway with staircases winding up the left and right side walls. I was led to a room on the ground floor where a dressing room was located. There were several hooks lining a long wall. Five of them were occupied by long black gowns that were traditional for ritual attire. Above one in the middle was my name, spelled out in neat cursive. I changed quietly as the rest of the girls entered the room. They also moved to their assigned attire, not speaking, not looking at one another. It was then that Helen entered the room, 
large smile painted across her face. Good morning, ladies, she said with a nauseating degree of enthusiasm. Good morning, Helen, we all replied in unison. Keep doing what you're doing. I am here to give you some information you'll need about the ritual and the rules, she went on. After the ritual begins, that room will be locked to the rest of the house and outside. You will be locked in there for the duration of the event. All of the girls looked up from their dressing to listen to this. Being locked in certainly felt ominous and didn't help with the feelings of uncertainty we were already going through. She continued to explain. There will be a circle drawn on the floor, the cushion laid out for each of you. You are not to leave the circle under any circumstances without first performing a prayer, which I will show you. I cannot stress how important this is. To get food we deliver, to go to the bathroom, anything, you must perform the prayer before leaving the circle, and then only to do the action you need and return immediately. You will each be given a unique ring to wear during the ritual. Once you put it on, you are not to remove it. You will wear it for the duration, which will be three consecutive days. In this time, you are to remain awake. There will be dire consequences if you fall asleep during the three-day period. Do whatever it is you need to remain awake. Pray, meditate. You can speak to one another if you please. However, we discourage any conversations that could lead to disagreement. Your time without sleep will cause you to become irritable, distraught. It is easy to get distracted, forget important details about your task at hand. Food will be brought twice a day. Again, you must do the prayer before leaving the circle. There was little other instruction given. After donning our ritual attire, we were walked into the room where we would spend the next three days. It was fairly large, with a large dark circle painted in the center. Several comfortable cushions were placed around the inside of the ring at equal distances. We each took a position inside the circle, finding our own personally comfortable way to sit in the confined space. A man approached each of us, opening an ornate chest that contained several rings. We each took one, which were unique in their design and construction. My ring was made of silver with a cracked blue stone in the center placement. Ladies, put your rings on now, please, said Helen. I gazed at the stone for a moment longer. It would have been quite a beautiful piece if not for the damage. A cracked blue stone. If it had been whole at one time, I wondered what would have caused this to happen. A shriek from across from me made my eyes start upward. Emma had put on her ring had clapped her hands to her mouth. She was staring at the wall behind me. I turned to look, but nothing was there. Tears rolled down her face and she started to shake. I looked from her and then to Helen, who was staring at me as the only person who had not yet put on their ring. Put on your ring, said Helen, a bit more forcefully this time. I slipped the metal over my finger and it seemed to snug to my skin uncomfortably. Nothing sinister seemed to happen to me directly, but a sense of dread crept over me as I did this. I looked up and around the room. It didn't take me long to notice a new figure was standing in the far corner. She looked like a bride, long, flowing dress, but with a thick, long veil covering her features. It was hard to tell what she looked like, 
because she was so concealed. It was at this time that Alan and her assistant began to leave the room. Best of luck, ladies. Remember the rules, she said. With that, the doors to the room shut, and a bolt slid into place from the outside, locking us in. I looked back at the bride, who was like an unmoving statue in the room, oriented in a way that made me think she was looking at me. The other girls seemed as stressed as I was, each looking to a place in the room that had stolen their attention entirely. I followed their gazes to the various places around the room, and I couldn't see anything, nothing except the bride who appeared before me. The other girls didn't seem to notice her, its presence. Slowly, we all broke from the gaze of the individual entities that seemed to have entered the room and instead looked at each other. None of us said anything, resigned to our own fate and the challenge ahead. The first day was long, seemingly unmoving, but we endured, sat in silence watching the rays of sunlight move throughout the room as the day burned on without us. The bride never moved while I sat. She just stood there, motionless, watching me. I tried to concentrate on my own task, staying awake, but her presence was a knot in my stomach that never released. The next day came, and all five girls were still awake, still present, but none of us speaking. I looked down at my hands. Having been awake now for a full day, exhaustion was starting to weigh on me. My hands trembled on their own, like I'd had too much coffee. I clasped them together to stop the shaking. I just needed to relax, I thought. The stress of this event was causing my body to have this shaking reaction. I sat a little more comfortably on my seat, and irresistibly my eyes started to droop. The voices of my parents and Helen shot into my head. Do not fall asleep, they all collectively shouted. My eyes shot open and I gasped sharply as I took in the room again. Except it wasn't the room. The bride had moved, and she was in my face, her veil practically brushing against my nose. A smell of rotting flesh breathed into my face as a toothless smile appeared under the veil. She was completely over me, but not touching me. Seeing that I was still awake, she backed off, moving back to her space on the wall and stood, looking at me again waiting for another lapse in consciousness to do. I have no idea, but I didn't want to find out. Unfortunately, it wouldn't be long before I would find out. Paige seemed to lean to her side and then comfortably laid out on her cushion, eyes closed, breathing deeply. When the other girls noticed this happened, they all started shouting at her to wake up, but she would not stir. But darkness suddenly pervaded the room created not only darkness, but also a pressure on our bodies and in our heads. We felt paralyzed in our seats. We watched helplessly as Paige seemed to glow for a moment, body illuminated in the darkness. Then it suddenly sunk into the floor, disintegrating into glowing embers and ash. It happened so suddenly that we all cried and shrieked in terror as she vanished. The darkness lifted and we all looked at each other all in varying states of shock and horror at what we just witnessed. Where did she go? The other girls looked to their various points in the room at what was presumably their angel. 
I too looked at the bride, a new layer of fear hanging over my head. The bride did move then, but only to once again show me that toothless smile visible under her veil. As the next day arrived, the four remaining girls all started to show signs of exhaustion. I think we were all feeling not only the fear, but also the irritability, the anger we all had surrounding the ritual and maybe each other. It was at this time that the silence was finally broken. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you, Gabby, said Emma suddenly. What? What are you talking about? I asked, totally confused. I know it was you, ratting us out. We'd have escaped, started a new life. But you had to snitch on us like a coward who couldn't keep her mouth shut. She stung at me. I didn't rat you out, I shot back at her. Even if I did, you sure sucked at escaping, getting caught the second you left. Nice job. I'm not sure what came over me saying this. I was tired, more tired than I'd ever felt. The false accusation just seemed to hit me in a way that made me so angry. Emma stood then, rage painted on her exhausted face. What did you say to me? She shouted. I stood too, and she came forward from her seat toward me. Say it again, she shouted, this time putting a hand on my chest and pushing me. Get out of my face, I spat back at her. She moved then to shove me harder, but I was expecting it and moved out of the way. Maybe it was because we were all so tired, but Emma stumbled when she tried to push me, and I moved out of the way. She fell hidden the floor inside the circle, catching herself with her hands. She was apoplectic at having fallen, but something happened then she was not expecting. She tried to stand. She seemed stuck to the floor, held down by her foot. This is when we all noticed that her right foot had only just barely left the dark circle painted for our sitting area. Emma looked back at her foot, realizing what had happened. She looked back at us, anger exchanged for pure terror, and then she was yanked hard by something we couldn't see. She was pulled completely out of the circle. She was screaming and crying for help, but there was nothing we could do. Darkness again pervaded the room, and her cries were suddenly silenced as her body sunk to the floor in a pile of embers and ashes. Three of us remaining looked on with terror and pity. A complete accident snuffing out the life of another one of our friends. An intense sobbing behind me made me turn. Aria had her face in her hands, crying heavily. It was me, she sobbed. I was the one who told them you left. She looked at Haley pleadingly. Haley looked back at her, an expression of disgust on her face. However, she resigned herself back to her seat, looking off to her corner of the room where her monster likely was. We sat in silence again, waiting for the day to pass, waiting for the nightmare to end. The last day of the ritual arrived, but now none of us had slept for nearly three days. The struggle to stay awake was real, fighting with my very thoughts to stay conscious. At one point in the early morning, I could have sworn I smelled smoke. A strong desire to get up and run out of the room came over me. No, don't move, I thought to myself. There's no flames. You don't see the smoke. You'd be coughing. I breathed heavily, trying to align my thoughts to the rhythm and clear my mind. Was I truly starting to hallucinate? 
I wondered how the other girls were handling this. Haley was pacing the room. I suppose she thought that standing and moving would keep the fatigue at bay. Aria, however, was sitting on her seat, but a strange expression was on her face. Aria, I said, are you all right? She smiled at me and then pointed. I think I hear my brother. It's been so long since I've heard his voice, she said. I became overwhelmingly concerned for her when she said this. Aria, didn't your brother pass away a couple of years ago? I asked, almost scared to hear the answer. Aria became almost angry with me for suggesting this. She stood up and looked down at me at my seat. No, he's here, he's right here, she said. She smiled again, following something I couldn't see around the room. She turned her back to me and raised her arms as if to take someone into an embrace. And then she stepped out of the circle. Aria, no! Both Haley and I shouted, but in vain. Aria seemed to take someone or something we couldn't see into a long embrace. The room became dark again, and her body turned to cinders where she stood, falling to a pile of ash just outside of the circle. Haley and I looked at each other, the two remaining of the five. We sat back in our seats. She spoke then, and I welcomed the sound, perhaps in solidarity with our unique situation, being the sole survivors. Never met any of them until recently. You know her and the others since you were a kid? She asked. Y yeah, I have. I don't know if we were super close, but we grew up together, I suppose. Same school and classes, I said. I'm sorry, she replied. I know what it's like to lose someone. I don't know about like this, but I guess, suddenly. I sat quietly, not sure what to say. It was hard to believe that any of this was real. Thanks, I said awkwardly. I lost my dad, she said. He wasn't a part of this, whatever this is. I never knew my mom. She took off early on. He raised me on my own. We took a trip into the woods, always loved hiking. We ran into some sort of people, these crazed forest people. They took him. I was shocked listening to this story, staying quiet to let her finish. She seemed to read this for me and continued on. I made it out, found myself in foster care after I was rescued, bounced around until I was taken in by these people. Little did I know they were in some screwed up cult, she went on. The sound at the door to the room cut off the conversation there. A hymn or prayer recited in unison by a group of people on the other side of the door. Unsure if this was another hallucination, Haley and I embraced one another, maybe to anchor each other in the center of the circle. Tears rolled down my face. The exhaustion, the fear, the stress was becoming too much to bear. The bolts on the other side of the door slid out, and the door opened suddenly to reveal our parents. They rushed in, pulling me out of Haley's grasp and holding me tightly. The ring on my finger felt loose and fell from my hand. I looked nervously over to where the bride had been standing, and she seemed to vanish, turning to a wisp of dust floating in the air. I hugged my parents tight, desperately wanting to believe that this was real and that it was over. 
turned my head and saw the parents of the other girls. They looked as if they were stoically handling what must have been intense grief. Helen went to each of them, explaining something I could not hear. Each pair slowly filed out of the room, back to their lives. Ellie made a commotion to my left. She was not grateful for her parents that came in. She pushed past them and out of the building entirely. Just that brief conversation with her, I think I understood a little bit how she felt. I knew my family, I knew these people, and an intense feeling of rage welled in my body. I didn't make it known, but I held intense spite for my family after the ritual. I did not see the benefit of having gone through that horror, and I didn't understand how they could possibly justify their actions. It wasn't long after I turned 18 that I got the heck out of there, determined to set out on my own and escape the binds of the family and their traditions. I worked hard made something of myself, paid my own way through college, and eventually finding a job that would support me. Through my own actions, not some mystical force from the ritual, I found a life for myself. I eventually found love, marrying a man who was very successful himself. When we decided to start a family some years later, I was the happiest I'd ever been. The family and what I went through, a long buried part of my past life. I sat in the hospital nine months later, awaiting the arrival of our new baby girl. The doctor had suggested that I walk around the room, which I was doing, pacing the outer walls. I came to the window and looked out into the parking lot, expecting to find relief in the beautiful landscaping of the facility. To my horror, there was a crowd of people gathered in the parking lot, all standing still, all looking up into my hospital room window. Among them, I saw my parents near the front, more gray than the last time I'd seen them. What were they doing here? Then realization poured over me like an icy bath. I was having a baby girl. I pulled the curtains shut, blocking out the view of the parking lot. They weren't going to have my baby in their ritual of human sacrifice. It would have to be over my cold, dead body because I was going to fight them with everything I had.